Hi guys, this is Mike Close, and welcome to the Mozilla Companies Podcast. Today we are talking about custom lifting devices. A below-the-hook lifting device is a general term that can include a variety of customized lifting beams, spreader beams, C-hooks, lifting tongs, vacuum lifters, or magnet lifters. These custom devices offer more load control and support than traditional rigging can. When used in conjunction with a crane and rigging equipment, a below-the-hook lifter can eliminate the hazard of a load tipping, sliding, or becoming unbalanced. It can also reduce low sling angles and the tendency for slings to crush or bend a load. Today, I sit down with three members from our below-the-hook and engineered products team. Dan Sherwood is a below-the-hook product manager, Scott Sheehan is a below-the-hook sales estimator, and Tom Bina is a below-the-hook project engineer. If you've never gone through the consultation, quotation, or approval process when buying and designing a below-the-hook lifting device, stay tuned. We'll talk about how you can customize your below-the-hook device for your specific application and operating environment, what information engineers and project managers need to know before they can provide you with a quote, how you can help to make the design and approval process go smoothly, how ASME BTH1 design parameters and basic physics may influence the design and specifications of your custom lifter, and why the approval process is so important to the success of the project. I am going to start and just have you guys introduce yourselves and say what your title is and what you do. Scott Sheehan, Sales and Estimating, Below the Hook. Dan Sherwood, Product Manager, Below the Hook. Tom Bina, project engineer below the hook. So we're all here today to talk about um, kind of the process of how you can get a custom lifter designed for you and basically what our team needs to know and what you should consider uh, before you move forward with the process of buying a custom lifter. So you guys have an internal front load sheet that you use. Um, what is some of the main information that you guys need to know to even put just a basic quote together? Scott, you want to take that? Um, I think just as the front load sheet is laid out, it's, you know, customer name, um, give us a description of what the lifter may be, um, so definitely how many you need, capacity. Capacity is a huge one. Without a capacity, I mean, we're yeah, we're we dead can't in the do water. anything. <laughs> cool. You want a you want a lifter? All right, we need to know what it's lifting to even know where to start. Sure. Yeah. Maybe maximum and minimum lengths, or if it's a tong, diameters. Um, if anything that is going to be either adjustable or need to work on a range of products, we need to know that range. Because, yeah, I mean, to that point, we might be able to hit that range, but it might take us two or three different devices to hit that range. Yeah. You know, or we need to know if it's a beam, we just need to know where to put adjustments. If they don't necessarily know where they're going to need adjustments, I mean, we've done it before where we've just, you know, shotgun holes down the entire length of a beam, top side and bottom side, and truly made it probably the most versatile lifting beam. Yeah, it can even be used upside down. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> There's no right side up on it. Um, but yeah, especially when you get into the, into the tongs, you know, that that becomes a certain range and uh, that, that you can kind of make work with the tong for picking rounds and, uh, and the, the telescoping beams too. You know, you, you can only get so much closed length and open length because you need so much overlap of the, the actual tubes to make sure you know, they're not going to slip out of each other when you're lifting. So, so that's probably 
another one that you know you'll have a true set maximum in that you you can stay within and could take multiples um hook size is something that we ask for but typically don't get because some of the places that these cranes or even like mobile cranes the salesman can't get close enough to them to take measurements but if they can give us like the capacity of what they're using whether it's an like a picker you know out in the field um a mobile crane or if it's an overhead crane because sometimes people will want to use like a 10 ton beam on a 150 ton crane that's gonna we need to know fun. that you know right. yeah so even to a point sometimes when you get into like the weirder capacities hey i got a 35 ton crane they could have a 50 ton shank hook on there yeah mm -hmm. you know and and you know if they say 35 ton and we base it kind of what we say our standard 35 ton bale is it still may not fit the hook because the customer's crane came with a larger hook you know for whatever reason sure so you know the, you know, we might seem like sticklers when we're like, well, we need to know the hook size. You know, there's reasons for it. We've had situations before, you know, all, all things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, we've sent lifters out that, you know, we've understood what crane capacities were, but hey, it's a totally different hook than what would match the actual capacity of the yeah. crane. And, and but, that, but once again, if that becomes an order, we're also in that window of we send approval drawings, it calls mm -hmm. out what that opening is, Got to make sure the customer looks that over. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to get it up front because sure. we can include it in the price and everything, but, but it when it's revision. an approval drawing, that's the time to it's, make your changes. It's got to be, yeah, it's got to be verified. Yeah, and that goes with, you know, not just your bail size. I mean, it goes with everything. a lot, everything, <laughs> everything, you know, we're, you know, and, and that's, you know, one thing we try to convey to, you know, to customers and sales is, you know, the, the challenge back at us a lot of times is, well, I'm paying you guys to design this. Why should I have to sign off on it? And, and it's really, look, we're going through it with the information we have available. We're not, unfortunately, on your site to be able to, to go out there and measure it. You know, that's where we will rely on our sales force to go out and work with the customer, make sure everybody's on the same understanding. You know, if, if it's, let's, for instance, say an H-beam, right? It's picking up some type of a frame that has four lifting points on it. Mm -hmm. You know, we just want to verify that the spans, you know, between the holes match what we're showing on, on our, our lifter. Um, if it's a tong, you know, we want to make sure that what we're showing is our radiuses, you know, that we're going to pick, you know, a, a six inch diameter to an eight inch diameter or 12 inch diameter, that, that, that they don't have a 13 or 14 inch diameter that they need us to account for. Sure. And we send them the tong and they're like, well, we can't pick this why why couldn't we you know it, it's just it's our final double check that that we like to have um you know before we send it out you know because they sign off on it um isn't necessarily cementing you know everything that hey you know if something goes awry you know you're on the hook for it all we understand and we're always you know we're willing to work with everybody on on things like that because again it's as yeah. we've talked in the past you know it's a marriage going into these projects with with customers i'd say another item that is pretty critical is either limitations and we talked about this in the video specifically headroom if they have headroom limitations and then um I guess I would call them like outside factors. Obstructions. Yeah, obstructions, but also like if it's gonna be hot, 
Is it lifting something? Is it going to see so a lot of ask, heat? Like, how much does the operating environment play it, into that? Exactly. So, like, we see we see high heat sometimes, which if that's the case, we need to know that. Um, caustic environments, we don't see too much, but we but do we do have, pickling, I'm tank. Pickling. I was galvanization. Yeah. Galvanizing, we've done those, and, and pickling. Then, even and, outdoor. Yeah. I mean, if it's outdoor, does maybe a powder coating option epoxy. epoxy powder coat yeah if, if we're picking something that's got like a machine surface okay and you know we have let's go back to a tong again and say we're grabbing it with a with a tong and it's got steel feet on it you know you run the risk of steel on steel scraping so we would put either you know a rubber a uhmw mm -hmm. um, some type of a buffer in between those two to protect the surface or the piece you know graphite is another big one a lot of times you know we can't um, call it or, or mar it or whatever. So, so coming up with again, kind of that that pancake material, that in between material. Um, to do you have to? Do you ever have to worry about like conductive materials, like we lifting do, batteries yeah. and stuff like that? I was gonna say we did some battery lifters, and that was tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of different companies out there there's a lot of different ways to, to lift batteries a lot of people there. use wood if it's possible mm -hmm. for non-conductive we don't very no, much anymore I think you know that now that Caldwell released their uh, uh, Duralite line um, you know those are non-conductive so so really any of those yeah. beams are phenomenal for for lifting you know a battery or, or what type of material do they use it's like a, uh, it's fiber, a, a fiberglass. Fiberglass? Yeah. Composite. Composite fiberglass, I think, is what it is. So, um, you know, to me, it's, it just seems much safer than using wood for kind of a non-conductive mm -hmm. type thing. I mean, you can also, you know, like bronze coat or bronze dip stuff, but then you're talking big money. Yeah, added um, expense. Yeah, you can, you can, I mean, you can have a steel beam with either bronze, you know, bronze coat shackles or bowls of hooks or whatever but you know you still run the risk of of it jumping um, but yeah I mean I think you know help as far as you know getting the process rolling and getting a quick the quickest turnaround really getting us all the information up front I and mean, grabbing a pen and paper and just stick drawing. You so, noted a, a good one is if, what are they using now which definitely helps us I mean are we going to make something better than that possibly but maybe what they're using now if they're using a old-fashioned four-leg chain sling to pick it and it's working mm -hmm. I mean we may not add a benefit to that but yeah we can mm -hmm. but yeah I mean getting us as, as, as much information as you can you know kind of hitting the criticals that we need um, you know that's gonna allow us to, to quickly you know turn a quote around for you guys you know get a quote into, into the salesman's hand and the customer's hand and you know really start moving forward on the project um, I know you know we were talking um, in an ideal world, you know, customers have drawings and 3D models nowadays of the pieces that are being lifted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some situations we run into, they have them and they're available, you know, for us, you know, even to the point of samples. Yeah. Um, you know, but getting drawings and, and 3D models up front really help because, you know, uh, Tom can put those into, in, into his design and, and really make sure. Um, he's interfacing correctly with the pieces. Um, obviously on the sample side, um, you know, when we start getting into kind of really complex type lifting stuff, we, we really do push to get samples. And I mean, the reason behind that is, is 
we want to make sure that lifter works when it hits the customer's floor. You know, we don't want to, you know, have to do the final tinkering, you know, back and forth between the customers. So, so getting that into our shop, we can do all that final tinkering before it even leaves our shop. And that's a huge benefit is we do most of the fabrication here in-house. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's as easy as any of you guys walking out into the shop and if, if you're doing a mock-up or a, you know, a test product, you can actually fit it on the actual product sample. Or, or in your modeling, you yeah. know, obviously you can get that configuration. And the other nice thing about that too is we can always take a video of that, send it to the customer, so they can have a final look on it. That's awesome. And they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah that, that yeah, looks good. good. <laughs> I mean, we, I like we've that. done it before. We so have, yeah. We don't do it on everyone, but. So why is it important um, both for for your team to be aware of and for the customer to consider obstructions or things like limited headroom or anything that they may need to, uh, you, you may need to know about how that lift is being performed. And if you're rigging, a, say, a beam from the top, it's not gonna be able to fit in there because you have you know, ductwork or piping or whatever, electrical lines or mm -hmm. something in the way. I think that's when that like a level A project comes to a level B to where now it's a little more complex. Mm -hmm. We might have to add a, you know, move the bale back and put a counterweight on it and try to yeah. get it. A lot of times like rigging to the piece isn't necessarily the problem. It's being able to get to the piece to rig the piece okay. is, mm -hmm. is the problem. And, and you know, headroom, we got to make sure, you know, we can get our lifter over, over it, around it, however you know that you're gonna have enough lift if you got to pick your piece up and then clear a bunch of stuff mm. you know and you need that extra room to lift you know that may not be something right commonly thought of oh I can get in there and pick this piece but then I got to travel it all the way down to that end of the you shop over shelving but I got I got to go over this piece of machinery and yeah. I, I need X amount of clearance you know we got to take that into account or if we're going through like say a hole in the floor to go down to pick something and it's that Everything's got to fit right back through that hole. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. it, um, it's important to know the headroom restrictions up front as well, because there's a big difference between a standard lifting beam that is an I beam with a burnout plate on it, than a low headroom beam, which is typically back-to-back -back channel with a pin sunken in it. Because we've had it before where somebody will. We'll send out the approval drawing with a headroom designation, and they're like, well, that's way too much. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, my design just had to completely change. I might as well back, go back to square one. And how does that affect the quote? I mean, can that change the pricing? It, it can, that's, because yeah. if I've already put an entire day of engineering time into it, I mean, that's not cheap. So and it also yeah. can be going from a custom or from a standard product that we could buy out from the partners that we have, or making something totally new where we got to dump engineering time into it yeah you, you could be designing one one thing and that piece of information comes along and all of a sudden oh it's totally different the, yeah the weight of your overall material typically changes too when you go from a regular beam to back to back channel you, you might add 500 pounds you might you might have 5,000 pounds and you still might not hit the head exactly because that channel grows so much too yeah if we're talking beams, the span of the beam to what the capacity is is just so great. We, we just physically, physics, you know, physics is the driving <laughs> yeah. factor here. We just physically cannot make something fit within those parameters to, you know, again, we have safety factors and everything that 
that drive share that up. But again, it all falls back to the physics, right? I mean, there's the numbers don't lie when it come, comes to that type of thing. And, and it, some, some things is just, there's nothing we can do for it. So we talked about, you know, drawing sketches, modeling samples, uh, understanding some of the limitations in your environment. You know, what else have we not covered that can, and from start to finish really, that can make that process go smoothly? So reviewing the approval drawings, making sure that you really go over those and make sure that it's designed to what you think you need and will work for your application. What else should a customer know? I think the environment of use is, is you know, we've kind of talked about the environment and, and what I guess I, I'm saying is is your duty cycles. How, how much are you going to be using the thing, right? If, if, because that, that can impact the design, how we size things. You know, we like to call, you know, we like to reference it, and I, I know a lot of places do it, you know, s steel mill duty. You know, if it's going to be used in a steel mill, it's going to get used a lot, it's going to get beat on, um, it's, you know, it's going to need to be a little bit tougher than if it's going to be in, you know, a, a smaller production type environment where, you know, they might use it three times a day, one time a day. Um, so that, you know, that's enough. When, when the approval drawing comes out and we're asking for information on our title, you know, our signed block, our approval block, you know, um, I, I believe we ask for number of cycles per day and number of shifts per day. Okay. And, I mean, basically what we're asking for that for is to, to then do a calculation to, to make sure what we have, um, you know, our, our design category at, service class at. And that's right out of the BTH1 standard. That's right standard. out of the BTH1, making yeah. sure those two align with, with what the, you know, the customer is using. You know, if we're in a situation where it's an extremely light use, exact same thing time and time again in, in the same environment, we may not, you know, need to be at a three to one. We can go down to design category A mm -hmm. and, uh, and make that a two to one safety factor, which, you know, again, that that helps, you know, all, all around that, that could help. But, um, you know, the second it becomes, you know, variables into that pick, we got to go back up to the B. Um, but, you know, a service class one lifter versus a service class four lifter. Um, I mean, right out of the, the, the BTH-1, you can see what they're rated for for total life cycles. And, like, the service class four is two million plus. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a lifter that's going to get used and abused. And, um, you know, it, it's got to be able to, to hold up to its environment to hit, you know, it, its projected yeah. life in years. And I mean, you're probably pairing that with a pro, you know, on a process crane. It's it's going to be comparable to the duty cycle of the exactly, crane. exactly. And you know, most I, I'd say, you know, in my time here, I've seen most most places fall under like a design category B service class two, mild to medium use. So, what type of extra engineering goes into those types of lifting beams? Is it just more reinforcing? around connection points and it, yeah I mean I think Tom can talk on that a little bit but yeah tip, I mean it's the same calculations and everything you just use a different design factor typically um, it's just numbers you know uh, the 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 product ends up being much beefier normally hmm. um, but yeah it's it's a it's the same design process okay. Yeah, you're just, I mean, I think you're looking at, you know, where potential weak points could be and, you know, either beefing up the steel thickness size or adding a gusset here you may not normally have. Mm -hmm. um, or reinforcing the lifting eyes just because you're going to be seeing so much work. Sure. Or, or bail. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Could, it could be something where, 
you know, now you're talking, you're gonna, you're gonna start, you're gonna put bushings and, and pinholes, you know, to, because it's gonna see so much use, and, from, and you're gonna start to see wear on it, you wanna make it easy to replace those, yeah. you know, in the future. So if a customer, let's kind of walk through the process of what it's like to work with our group. So, you know, a, a customer's, are they gonna reach out directly to you guys, or do they, do they work with a sales rep first, and then kind of walk through how that works um, just in the different stages up until when that product gets delivered? Typically, it comes through the salesman because they already have that relationship with the customer. And, uh, you know, and then we're always there to, to support them. And if they have questions or they need somebody to go out in the field with them and see the actual application, that it's that customized that, I mean, we can make that happen. I'd say it's like 75-25, you know, 75% of it's coming from our, our own people, but then there's 25% of it that, um, you know, they're either new to us as a, as a customer, they're, you know, they're used to working with Scott, you know, they email back and forth with Scott all the time and, you know, hey, Scott, you know, this is what I need, or, you know, Tom, you know, Lily's got, you know, over her years, she's, you know, gotten relationships with, with customers that, you know, just go straight directly sure. to her. Um, you know, you start to build those friendships, those co those comfort levels with, with customers. I think we all kind of have them with certain customers that, you know, they just come and work directly to you. And yeah. I mean, we have, I mean, we have absolutely no problem working directly with customers. I mean, we're here to help, you know, help them and solve their problems and, and you know, um, you know, whatever it kind of takes. If, you know, if we need to get somebody on site, then we might, you know, send our, our start by sending our sales rep in. You know, as Scott said, if it starts it's getting a little more complex, you know, one of us will head in there uh, and, and make sure, you know, we're getting our eyes on it, getting all the information we need, you know, spitballing ideas with the customer as to, hey, could this work, could this work? And a lot of times, those are the times, you know, you save a lot of Tom's time in revisions because you're going through the progression of, hey, let's try this, could this work in here, walking the customer yeah. through how that would work, what that would look like. And you know that's when they're like, oh well, no, because I might have to avoid that, or that could get in the way. What else can we do? And you start working through all of that. So, you know, those are those are the projects that that really go the smoothest is when you've really talked them out and, and spent that time going through them. That basically, when it hits Tom's hands, all he's doing is putting the numbers to the paper and, and, and designing the thing as as to, you know, he knows the functionality is going to work. He's just gonna yeah make and, it. And also, if you can kind of with that customer touch on what their budget is. Because if it's something that, you know, well, I wanted to do this, this, and this, and I want this to be motorized, well, okay, it's $20,000. Well, shit, my budget's only 10. Yeah. How, how are we gonna do it? So yeah. it's, it's one of those give and take, we gotta work, kind of work through that stuff. So what's that quotation process look like? Are you just giving them kind of a rough number, but at that point, have we done any drawings? Or does, does the engineering and the drawing process kind of start once we have the PO? Yes. yes. Okay. So so typically we, we don't really put the co um, concepts out with, with drawings. Right. Um, you know, we, there's certain situations that will call for a concept to have to go with, with a drawing. Could you do like a, kind of like a proof of concept where you're kind of showing them the design yeah. but without the specifications? Yeah, and, and a lot of times, you know, we don't necessarily even run full engineering into it. You know, mm -hmm. we'll just get it to kind of look like what we have in our heads. Okay. 
um, you know, as quickly as we can get it out onto paper for them, just to kind of show them, hey, this is this is what we're thinking, you know, just so we're all on the same page. If you see something, you know, this is a great time to raise the red flag. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, we, we try to do our best to, to put as much information, describing information into our quotes as we can um, as to, you know, what the criteria is going to be. Exactly. And, you know, I think over the years we've had a, a very good track record with it that way. And, and, you know, yeah, once we get into the approval process is when, you know, you really start seeing. Yeah. The but it's, it, too, either give one of us a call, too, if you don't understand or there's something that you know you're reading on the quote like well, what do you mean by that sure I mean, we're more than happy you know time willing to sit down and have a, a good yeah. conversation and get this worked out with you yeah i'd rather take you know 20 minutes to sit down and talk it out than you know four hours of of engineering time to find out what we could have found okay. out yeah design a conversation yeah that makes you know, sense it just helps i mean it helps everybody so then once you have that signed po kind of what does that look like tom like how do you jump in at that point and start getting the actual drawings and the engineering yeah they hand me the project packet and um, typically either we have a program that runs beam sizes so Scott has already sized some beams maybe I've maybe run some initial numbers for him on the simpler stuff mm -hmm. and then I just I get into SolidWorks and start putting everything together um, on some of the more complex stuff like we had a uh, a forklift double tong um, not that long ago and had initial numbers but had to go back through and re rerun almost everything to, to verify the numbers. to crunch the numbers um, but typically I don't have to do a lot more math it's okay. mostly just getting into SolidWorks and putting stuff together. Okay. And I'll actually use 3D modeling as a tool to kind of uh, size parts as I go. Okay. So, yeah, that's what happens once we get the PO. And, then, and as long as we have that front load information and it's, and it's a, a detailed package mm -hmm. and information that I add on that what I find out with dealing with, you know, either the sales or the customer, I try to keep all that stuff together so when Tom gets that packet, he's pretty much almost been in there with me with these conversations. Yeah, um, and our timeline on um, receipt of PO to first uh, draft of approval being sent out is seven business days. I'm typically sending an approval out a day after I get after we get a PO. Unless it's something very complex, mm -hmm. or like Scott said, maybe I had to go back to the salesman for more information. But if everything's there, if the packet's complete, I can have an approval drawing same day typically. Well, so yeah, that it help again. The front load is critical for that to it's, happen. It's though. if he has all his information and he knows what parameters he's working within. I mean, it's pretty quick to to get that stuff together. And that's why it's so important to that's why be it's so, so comprehensive so up front. You know, really. Because, you know, for us, we we want to get a quote in the customer's hands as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. you know, while it's still fresh in their minds and they, they remember what, what we discussed. You know, then once they cut us the peel, we want to get the drawings into their hands as quickly as possible. You know, again, keeping that all fresh in their minds. You know, mm -hmm. the longer things sit, the longer people tend to forget about certain small little components of, of, a, of a project that Sure. turn out being a big thing the, the next step you know we start sending you know materials out for bid um, you know 
purchasing the burnouts, the the structure steel, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting everything we need for what we're going to machine in house. Mm-hmm. Um, if something's a little bigger and we got to send it to one of our out out of house machine houses, getting that that quoted, um, you know, then putting all that together, um, starting to. Um, purchase all all the components all all the services and everything that might be going into it um, while at the same time starting to to look at our production schedule and fit these in kind of with our fabricators you know what with what fabricators going to be available when they're coming up available um, kind of where we are with our our overall backlog at the current time and, Mm -hmm. and what you know what our guys you know, I don't want to say specialize in, but what their strengths are that we kind of work them to work sure. them to. You know, we have guys who are really good at kind of the, the more standard type products, and we have guys that are really good at the true custom blacksmithing type jobs. Yeah. So you know, we, we just make sure we're keeping their cues filled appropriately. There are driving factors that are going to force us into those long lead times, and, mm-hmm. and that's things you know customers need to know about. You know, if it's a heavily machined piece, I mean, machining takes time. You know. A lot of times, if, if we're getting onto bigger, um, you know, horizontal boring mills, big CNC mills, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we not only have to get onto you know our vendors' schedules, but just the amount of time to do some of these things is gonna take some time. Then it might have to come back to us and and get integrated into the fab, the fabrication yeah. somehow. So, um, you know, as far as like getting steel and everything, I mean, we can have that in a couple of days, but physically getting some of the, the machine process pieces, you know, for machining it here. You know, we, we obviously have a little more control over our own machine schedule than somebody um, else's than somebody else's, yeah. but again, you know, we have our limitations for what machines we have in house. Yeah, and I mean I think that's I think that's important for the customer to understand that too, that yeah, we do the majority. We do a lot of work here in house, but there is some stuff we have to send outside, and you know that's going to be dependent on other people's production schedules. So, how quickly or how often do you get do you get customers who need that device like now, and well, how much does that play into we're like working, pricing? We're working on one right now where we were given like eight days to get them a lifter, <laughs> and it's not like a simple beam. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a little bit more of a complex. Um, lifter and and you know it, it's something where you know we might ask for an expediting fee mm-hmm. um because we are jumping so much production you know we are we're pushing those other customers you're stopping yeah mm-hmm. or you know we're, we don't you know we don't like doing that and, and you know we're not going to do it if it's going to impact you know another customer's delivery date hitting sure. their you know their promised delivery date but you know it's things we can you know sneak it in in between or, or calling the guys and saying hey we need you guys to work a little overtime to get yeah, for the projects done. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, every, everything, every little move like that does have a cost. Sure. How What's, complex is that project? Yeah, the compl- Yeah, that's great to say. The complexity of the project really drives just how quickly we can get you something. Sure. It doesn't happen too often where somebody's like, "I need it this day," yeah. and it's and it's un it's not doable. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen very often. If you truly need this. You know, here's your quote today. We need a PO by the end of the day. Yeah. You know, then we need the, the we'll get you the approval by, you know, noontime mm-hmm. the next day. 
we need a signed approval back that that same day mm -hmm. you know especially you know when we're on those really tight timelines because we got to make sure they're good with it we're not going to start buying material till we know they're good with it right and then from there you know we got to yeah. start pressing on our vendors that hey you yeah. know this is a rush we got to get this material in here for us so that makes sense um you know what else does anybody need to know to make sure that you know I, say, everything goes as smoothly as possible i'd say one thing that can get overlooked at times is paint you know sometimes customers just don't want their devices painted you know they're going into an environment that's going to not going to be painted mm -hmm. obviously there's situations where you're using aluminum stainless stuff like that that you're not going to paint but you know they don't, you know, in the environment that it's going to be in, the paint's going to either flake off in or on their their product, and they just don't want to paint it. Um, that also saves us about could save us a day. Yeah, depending on how how big of a lifter it is. And again, you know, to Scott's point earlier in the conversation of if it's going outside, do we need to powder coat it? Do we need to sure. epoxy it? And then that could add a couple of days. That could, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the flip side, that that's going to add time, money. Um, to a job so yeah. you know knowing especially like an epoxy or powder coat type situation you know we don't want to get to the end of the project and the customer or, or the salesman be like oh they just realized they need this you know to be able to be outside yeah okay well that, that's gonna add time that's gonna add money you know that uh, t uh, that potentially could have affected the way Tom designed something yeah cool I think we did a good job of covering everything yeah um, agreed yeah. Yeah, it's only eight twenty three in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> we have the whole day ahead of us still. So. <laughs> Groundhog Day Monday. <laughs> well thank you guys. Thanks all uh, everybody for your time. Scott, Dan, Tom. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah. Not a problem. Uh, as always if you have any questions about uh, custom lifter or you know you just want a consultation, make sure you visit mozellacompanies.com. We've got a lot of resources and uh, we've also got contact information for all of our locations and you can reach out to a lifting specialist. Thanks for tuning into the Mozilla Companies podcast. As always, if you found this useful, share it with a friend. If you're not currently a subscriber, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time.